Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny, and I'm joined here with some friends. We have James. Hey, guys. We have Samuel. <laughs> Hello. And we have Daniel. 안녕하세요. Wow, so Daniel is Korean today. No, I'm not <laughs> Korean, but I, we opened up Korean because this episode is going to be about a Korean man. That's right. I'm going to be presenting on Admiral Yi Sun Shin, who is the ultimate hero of Korea. And I am very excited about this, guys. I've been waiting to do this person for a long time. I knew from the very beginning of the podcast that this would be somebody that I'd want to talk about. Now, I am kind of breaking a rule here, though, because Admiral Yi is very well known and very well praised in Korea, of course. He is basically their national hero. Yes, to all our South Korean listeners, 안녕하세요. unsung heroes imnida. <laughs> I love how our, wow. our resident Turk is is so fluent in, in yeah. these phrases. <laughs> He's the expert. I can also say, uh, <laughs> I, I just said like, I drink water and eat food or something. But I, The only thing I know is uh, uh, which I think is eat cookies or something. <laughs> how did you learn that one? I want to know. I learned that one from this eight-year-old Korean kid I once taught English to back in Kazakhstan. <laughs> That's awesome. That's which we all know. Thank you. Any, anyway, yes. So, so we are experts in the language. <laughs> Clearly. Guys, this is going to be great because, again, like I said, he's well known in Korea, but I think it is super important that Admiral Yi become better known in the West. I mean, he is so not talked about at all in any way that I think is needed. Because th what this guy did is simply incredible. And to give you a little sneak peek before we kind of get into the episode, Admiral Yi is essentially the figure who, um, I won't say single-handedly, but basically single-handedly saved Korea from a Japanese invasion about mm. three times over in the 15, 1600s. I mean, this wow. guy is just amazing. Wow. And his story is one of falling back down and getting back up again over and over and over again. And I think we're all going to be quite inspired by this man's life. Did you say three times? Yeah, I'm probably more than that, to be honest with you, but you'll oh, wow. see how it works. I mean, his <laughs> his life kind of uh, functions very neatly as like a Confucian parable. Um, <laughs> the early parts of his life, of course, he wasn't as well known at the time. He was kind of just some nobody to a lot of people in court. So there weren't any histories being written hmm. about him in hmm. his early life. But after he got into the military and things started happening things are much well better documented. So some of the earlier stuff, of course, is more kind of the story around his life. And I'm I'm sure a lot of it's true, um, but especially the way it's structured and functioned, there are some liberties taken with how his story is told from his mm. early part of, of his life, basically. But you'll see how that works well, out. Well, I have to say, James, um, I, I don't know that much about Admiral Yi. So, you know, like you're saying, a lot of people here in the States and in the West don't know that much. Um, but you have been talking about him a lot, so he, this better be good. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been saying for the past like six months, oh, I want to do an episode about Admiral Yee. I know. <laughs> I know. Better live up to the hype. <laughs> That's right. I, so I hope it does. Again, I think there's nothing much I have to do to butter this thing up. I think simply by telling his story in a condensed fashion, you will all pretty much see why this guy's just pretty awesome. So, yeah, that's my spiel on Admiral E before we begin. Wow. Well, the only more un anticipated unsung hero that we have is out of Turk himself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the first president of Turkey is for another day. So yes, okay. yeah. excited about this guy. Do you really want to do him, Daniel? Because I don't know if he's an unsung hero. Well, here's the thing. How many people in the West know? Well, I guess a lot of people do know him. I don't know. I just... Hmm. I just really want to. We'll table it for now. We'll, we might come back to him. Yeah, yeah we'll have to right. see about we'll that. We'll table <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, I think without any further ado, let's just have James uh, jump right into it. All right. I will begin our story of Admiral Yi. Now, have any of you guys heard of the name Horatio Nelson? Is that uh, a pop, is that a name you guys have heard of before? No. I think I think I've heard of it. It yeah. sounds familiar. So Horatio Nelson is a very famous Navy admiral, and in the West, he's kind of considered the greatest, um, you know, naval commander 
of history. I mean, he actually he served during the Napoleonic Wars for uh, England, and he just dominated everything he did, and he was super well known. But I think every single person who knows of both Admiral Yi and Horatio Nelson says, while Horatio Nelson was an incredible man, he doesn't hold a candle to Admiral Yi. I mean, this guy um, essentially redefined how people understood naval warfare in the 16th century. You're so, talking about Admiral Yi? Yes, or, or Admiral Horatio. Yi did. Yeah, Horatio came later. Oh. Um, but this he's basically the Horatio Nelson of Korea. So keep that comparison in mind and just kind of, it kind of gives you a picture of how much he really is overshadowed. But I will kind of begin with um, where he was born and when. He was born April 28th, 1545, in what is now Seoul and during the Joseon dynasty in Korea. So to give you a little bit of context for this time period, Korea had known a couple hundred years of peace at this time. The only real problems they ever had to deal with were Jurchen tribes um, who were vassals under the Ming dynasty at the time from China. They, they would occasionally raid from the north, and they would always be fighting along the border. And this was about the extent of it, though. There was nothing majorly serious that Korea had to deal with for a long time. And this had a lot of consequences on their society. But one of the consequences of this was that their military had gotten kind of ramshackle and lazy during this time period. And also going into the military as a career path was not seen as something that was very prestigious or honorable. Um, their society was very steep in Confucianism at this time. So kind of being a scholar and a, and a wise philosopher and serving in the state was kind of seen as a more uh, valued career path, especially for nobility, than for going into the military. So Yi, growing up in this context, it is then surprising to hear that ever since he was a child, apparently, he always wanted to join the army. That was his ultimate aspiration and goal. And so the first thing we really hear about Admiral Yi is only when he was about 28 years old, actually. This is 1572. Uh, he decides to join the army, and he's taking a military officer test to kind of start off as an officer. And uh, reportedly, again, this is... I'm pretty sure the story is true. Again, a lot of this seems crazy, but this just kind of gives you a, a picture of who Yi is. But apparently, he's injured during one of his tests after falling off his horse, which had stumbled and tripped in a hole. And Yi falls off and horribly disfigures and breaks and messes up his leg. Oh. But when he falls to the ground, you know, he has all of his, um, you know, examiners watching there, seeing how he's going to do. Apparently, he drags himself by his hands over to a nearby willow tree, binds up his legs, manages to get back on a horse and finishes his test by pure grit. But even though he did this, he still failed the test by the standards they had laid out for him. Dude. And he fails oh. his first Korean military examination. Oh my gosh. Mm. Literally, that's where the phrase, get back on the horse comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Origin stories. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Also, pull yourself to the oak tree or willow oh tree. Oh my gosh. <laughs> willow, darn it, I missed it up. Did he have bootstraps that he pulled himself up by? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> so he literally did all this for a test. Yes, he did. And again, I love the story because you will see this theme play out throughout the entirety of Yi's life. This guy did not give up at all. Huh. He just had that kind of grit that makes for great storytelling. So apparently he fails his first Korean military examination, but this does not dissuade him because he comes again four years later, which is the next time he can take the test, and then he passes it. And so he finally kind of gets that position as an officer that he wants to. But of course, because there's nothing really to do in Korea at the time besides do stuff around the border and take care of pirates now and then, he's assigned to a really podunk fort up near the northern border for his first assignment. Kind of this ramshackle fort, uh, very much under-maintained and undermanned. And even though this might be seen as something condescending for somebody to be assigned to, Yi never let this get to him. He exercised excellent leadership and discipline and basically whipped his men into really good shape. And he did so much to get this garrison into a good position that the provincial governor of that area was actually really impressed. Apparently, there's this really mean governor who always gave terrible reviews, essentially, when he was going to examine all the forts. And he saw the way Yi had drilled his men into shape, and he goes... 
very good and just walks off and that's all he says <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, the, that's, the, that's what the story says so. that's a good yelp review yeah right it's yeah. it's like a the terrible umbrage in harry potter you know she's terrible oh, yeah nobody yeah. likes her it's like that person saying he did a good job even though she never does anything nice i wish know? she would have walked up to him and said this looks like something the lord has made <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reference Blaylock? to our previous episode i like that yeah so um he, the governor's pretty impressed, and he eventually gets a slight promotion, essentially, and he's called to come back to Seoul, the capital, and he begins to train new recruits at a military academy. So they see how good he is at exercising leadership, how much his men respect him, how much integrity that he has in everything that he does. And so he's put in charge of training uh, young officers coming up in the academy. And the problem is, though, is that his super honest integrity uh, didn't sit well with the nobility and the extremely corrupt court of Korea at the time. Um, a lot of these guys were just sending their spoiled sons to the academy, and they were trying to get away with a whole bunch of corruption and bribery and just being lazy. And Yi would have none of that. He was not at all mm. impressed by um, nobility and their um, you know ways of getting around mm. things during this time. So he made a lot of enemies doing this, unfortunately. Mm. And by angering enough people because he was... Um, really hard on discipline and truth and integrity, he was kicked out and sent back to a dinky province as a punishment. So he's kicked out kind of as a punishment, uh, knocked back down again. But even then, he still rose rapidly up in the ranks, um, avoiding every single attempt to bring him down. Mm. Until, unfortunately, a guy he had criticized really harshly back when he was in the academy in Seoul was assigned to report on the fort that Yi was in charge of. And so this really... Um, disgruntled noble's son apparently uh, gave a really negative report on Yi's post in command. And so, you know, again, like wrote a scathing review on Yelp, right? <laughs> and <laughs> Yi was then kicked out of the military for four months um, because yeah. of this report. But then eventually, finally, he was vindicated because he had some friends in the court who actually said, no, this actually wasn't true. By all reports, he's done a great job. He should not be kicked out. And so because he had this weird situation where some people loved him and knew him for what he was, but he had a lot of corrupt nobility who hated him, he was put in the military again, but he was put back to the lowest possible position. Hmm. So it's essentially like you have your drill sergeant the next week comes back to work and he's, you know, doing basic training with you. That's that's kind of wow. what he had to just oh. do. So I um, wonder what the what the negative review actually had on it. Like, what was he saying about Admiral Yi? To get him kicked out. So the funny thing is, you as you will see, this actually is not the only time this happens to Yi, but oh, I don't remember the exact details. I'm pretty sure he said something like, uh, just kind of talking about how Yi was just incompetent and uh, lazy and wasn't, you know, getting his men in shape at all. And he said a lot of things that would obviously reflect poorly upon Yi's leadership. Right. Mm. He wasn't say well, he wasn't saying things that were reflective only upon the men themselves. It was clearly like, yeah, this is all Yi's fault. Uh. Um, so that I got him in big trouble. Um, but again, he's at the lowest possible position, but he's like, no, I, this doesn't bother me. He doesn't care. He works as hard as he can and continues to do his duty um, until one of his old military friends and former rivals uh, calls him up to work with him in the northern front of Korea. So that's a little bit better of a place for him to be. So he's taken back to the northern front and he is situated on a fort near the Tumen River. This is pretty close to Jurchen territory. Remember, the Jurchen tribes were this nomadic tribe people that lived kind of north near Manchuria. And he's situated in this fort, and it's being raided by Jurchen tribes pretty continuously. So Yi knows this, and he gets his men into excellent shape and then has this great battle where he lays out an ambush by drawing these tribes into a bad position and then surrounding them and taking them all out. And he had this incredibly decisive victory, which completely neutralized the Jurchen threat in that province forever. And they never came back again. Hmm. And the strategy of Yi luring out his enemies into a false sense of security and then jumping on them and destroying them is a huge theme that you will see come later in his life. But this incredible Ooh. victory was a huge win for the relatively mundane military um, accomplishments of Korea at the time. <laughs> so people were lauding Yi's praises, and they were very, very happy with him, of course. But, of course, angry and jealous court officials, when they are you know, officially recognizing Yi's accomplishment in court, they say this, and here's a quote. They say, Although the courts recognized Yi Sunshin's meritorious service to the king, it nevertheless decided against awarding him a prize. Oh, <laughs> no. Just kind of shows you how he just keeps getting jilted, and... This kind of, um, you know, really is obviously a a terrible thing for them to do. 
with anybody else, if he didn't have enemies in court, they probably would have given him all the awards that were due to his, his services. But nonetheless, he continues, but he then retires for the next three years after his father died. Um, this was a pretty typical period of mourning, um, according to Confucian teachings. Um, people would, you know, when their fathers died, they were encouraged to take three years of mourning. So Yi does this. And then when he, you know, quote, comes out of retirement, you know, he, <laughs> they come back, they're like, we need you, Yi. He's like, I don't know, it's been years. <laughs> I'm too old for this stuff. <laughs> right. So Yi comes out of retirement and he's sent to the Northern Front again. And of course, knowing Yi's skill sets, they put him in charge of this derelict fort to kind of whip it back up into shape again. So he does this. He gets them back into shape, even though he had he was so undersupplied and undermanned that he had his men harvest and grow their own food just so they could have enough supplies to maintain themselves. Wow. And Yi continually requested hmm. that Seoul send him more reinforcements because he knew this place was not well defended and liable to be overrun, but he was continually rejected for all of his requests. Wow. And this really came to bite... Um, bite Korea back when the Jurchens again invaded and they attacked Yi's fort and Yi only had 12 men at this fort. And so uh, the story goes, they bravely fight as they're being surrounded and overrun by these Jurchen raiders and they fight through and cut their way out and barely escaped while simultaneously saving dozens of other civilians from this raid of Jurchen tribesmen. So they barely escape, but Yi's superior, who is a guy named Yi Il, um, blamed Yi for everything and didn't want to take any of this the you know the consequences for him refusing Yi's request for reinforcements so Yi Il has him tortured and put oh. on trial in Seoul. Oh come on. Oh, so no. get this, right? Yi's continually asking for reinforcements knowing that his position is going to be overrun and when it is overrun instead of his superiors getting in trouble like they should have for not listening to Yi, Yi's tortured for this brutally. Mm -hmm. And he's then put in front on a podium in this trial. And apparently this is what Yi says when he's being tried. He says, my Lord, you are asking me to assume the whole responsibility for this misfortune, but you are wrong. May I remind you that you have always refused my frequent requests for reinforcements. The defeat was not a result of my negligence of duty, but in large part your fault. Oh. Therefore it is not I, but you talking to um, Yi Il, who should be held responsible for the defeat. Ouch. And this sent shockwaves through the court, obviously. And it was a really huge deal that he said this. Um, so because of the truth that was very evident to the people who were trying Yi, they acquitted him and let him go. But they can't just let him go scot-free because he has these enemies, obviously, in court. So he loses his rank again. Again. So he goes mm. back into the military to get this, and he rejoins the army as a basic enlisted soldier. <laughs> 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 Again, he continually rises to the ranks every single time, is jilted, and then has to go back to the bottom. But this does not put a damper on our oh boy Yi. Gosh. This guy does not stop. He is goes to the northern border again, and again, he performs very, very well. In 1588, he's pretty much had a, a, a decently long career here, and he asks to retire. He says, okay, I'm about done right now. But uh, Ryo Songnyang, who is a childhood friend of Yi, who actually had become prime minister of Korea. And he was one of the guys who often defended Yi and allowed him to keep fighting in the army even when he was getting in so much trouble. Um, Ryu Sung-yang, this guy, he was getting really afraid of war possibly brewing on the horizon. And he was right in seeing that war with Japan was brewing in a very <laughs> intense series of political maneuverings and back and forth and miscommunication. This is actually an interesting story I won't get into right now, but there's a lot of stuff going on between Korea and Japan at this time. And uh, Ryu Sung-young knows that this is inevitably going to lead to massive conflict. And he knows he needs every mm. single capable commander that he can muster on his side. Now, to give you some background, this is important for us to understand the conflict that's going to erupt between Korea and Japan. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Japan and their background. So have you guys ever heard of the Sengoku Jedi? Have you heard of that before? Sengoku. Is that an so. anime? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Daniel. Oh, man. Because if so, uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but if not, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know. We know. Okay. Um, so this is Sengoku Jedi was a huge period in Japanese history, it essentially translates to the age of the warring states, and it went from about 1467 to 1650. And it was over 100 years of war, crazy politics, armies and conflicts, um, which basically ended the previous emperor and shogun's authority and established 
the Tokugawa shogunate. That's how it culminated in this Tokugawa shogunate. So mm. this country was continually in war. And as a consequence, um, they were essentially a hierarchical warrior-based society with warlike fervor emphasized to an unhealthy degree. I mean, their entire society, you know, we have the stereotypes of samurai and the code and all those kind of, you know, systems of life that we have in our popular conceptions of Japan. But those stereotypes come from this time period, essentially. Mm. This this time period is often romanticized as like the golden age of Japanese warfare. And their continual warring against one another had prevented them from expanding. But in that process, they had developed an extremely efficient war machine in their society, and they were very good at warfare, particularly land warfare. Well, so the question is, and you don't have to elaborate on this too much, but what exactly made the prime minister wary of the Japanese during this this kind of yeah, pivotal that's moment? Yeah, that's a, a great qu- a question with a lot of background. So essentially... Um, the after this uh, Tokugawa shogunate, or this is right before that was kind of formulated, but after this whole long period of warfare in Japan, they'd gotten really good at ground warfare, but they were still they hadn't really developed a navy, obviously, because they were fighting amongst themselves. They didn't have a need to develop much of a mm-hmm. navy. But after they united for, for the first time under a guy named Toyotomi Hideyoshi, this is an important name to remember. But Toyotomi Hideyoshi was very warlike, and he had a vision for a world empire of Japanese dominance. He wanted to invade and take out the Ming dynasty of China. So I think um, there's a great YouTube video called History of Japan uh, (laughs) by uh, by Bill Wirtz, who made the complete history of the world, I guess. guess. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Which is (laughs) great. Uh, and I think I remember this period where yes. Japan was fighting with each other and then they were like, hey, let's go attack China. Let's go mm-hmm. attack Korea. Right. Exactly. So they wanted to get to China. That was really their main goal. But if you know your geography a little bit, to get to China and go through the north part of China, you kind of have to go through Korea first. And at this point, Korea was one. It wasn't north and south. It was one yes. right. big Korea. It was one unified Korea. Yeah. And they were they were very closely tied with China, had a lot of cultural and political ties with China, in some cases serving as kind of a vassal state of China. But um, Japan knows that if they want to get to China, they're going to have to go through Korea. So essentially what happens, apparently there's just tons of back and forth. And the, you know, Toyotomi, uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi is wanting to go through Korea. And he basically asks Korea, hey, can I go through your country or let me go through your country to get to China? <laughs> and Korea's like, no, nah. like, we're not going to let you do that. One, we're allied with China. Two, we know you're not just going to peacefully go through our country. But there's a whole other layer to this in that a lot of historians note that when these two political or these two political entities are sending envoys back and forth, the messages that Toyotomi Hideyoshi would send to Korea were so vulgar and impolite and rude and warlike that the messengers of his messages were so terrified to actually read them to the Korean court. So they would actually change them to make them super polite. And so they would send it, and the Korean court would hear this and be like, oh, it's very nice of him. We're going to go visit Japan and send an ambassador and a delegation. right?" And so they would go... And then they're in, you know, apparently one story goes that they're in Toyotomi Hideyoshi's court and he thinks that they're here to pay him tribute because he thinks that he sent a really aggressive, terrifying letter that they're just bowing down to him for. So he, he visits them one time. They give him gifts and he takes that and thinking it's tribute. And then he just sends them out and never talks to them again. Yeah. Well, the oh. Korean ambassadors are like, this guy's so rude. Why isn't he even talking to us? Yeah. And so they went back super jilted and angry. He's, and not, that, he's yeah. not anything like his letters. Yeah. <laughs> his, his letters said he loved me. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually basically what happened. And so then Korean officials would send really mean remarks back. But of course, because Toyotomi Hideyoshi was a really crazy warlord, right? I mean, again, he was a brilliant leader, but he was very hot-tempered apparently the messengers from korea also didn't want to actually read the messages so there was a whole sequence of the messengers not even really saying what the messages actually were now that's a tangent but it gives you an indication as to why the prime minister of korea was understanding that war is basically inevitable at this point tensions are escalating communications not happening properly but because of this confusion it also helps you realize why korea is so underprepared for the japanese invasion it wasn't that they were completely incompetent it's that they weren't even getting proper communication and weren't yeah, able to read wow. the situation at all. Communication so, is key. Absolutely, absolutely. Go messengers for that uh, that unsung hero moment for them. 
No, unsung villains, really. Yeah, I, I don't know if we should bring messengers back or not. Like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of like it, but I also don't want them to. Texting is change. bad enough as it is. Like, <laughs> imagine know, right? if we had a, a person, like a mediator. Well, there's there's that app that literally you can like send a text or like a message to someone, and whoever's using that app near that person gets it and like goes and relays that message. Have you guys heard about this? No. No. What? no? Oh man, I heard about it in a podcast. It was like. Some girl wrote to a guy who'd like moved away to many, many states over and wrote like, I love you or whatever. And then some other guy in this guy's vicinity had it. And while the dude was shopping, this random guy enters the, the store, goes up to him and says, I love you, man. The guy's like, what the heck is going on? And it's supposed to be like, you deliver the message. You take a selfie as like, hey, I did it. It sounds like uh, 1500s Japan. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really weird. Man. We could call it like, I don't know, some great name, like Toyotomi Texting or something. Yeah. Toyotomi <laughs> Texting. <laughs> Takes all your angry letters and makes them a little tamer. Yeah, except, yeah, in, in our version, we edit it down to <laughs> make you polite. <laughs> maybe maybe the idea. world leaders need that right now, actually. That's yes. a good point. Wow. Yeah. I love this, guys. This is great. Okay. Um, back to Korea and Japan, right? So I'm going right. to go over a little bit of some of the advantages of each country in this coming conflict. So Japan pretty much has every single advantage, especially when looking at ground combat. Japan has adopted the use of firearms, which are obviously very early. It was a very early invention at this point still, but Japan's military had like 25% of their men armed with firearms at this point. They were extremely... Um, adept at adopting this new technology they had perfected siege warfare they knew how to fight um really really well so they had all these kind of advantages i think the only advantage that korea had was they had a better navy and they had adopted the use of cannons so korea's military was still using bow and arrows at this point they weren't mm. actually using firearms for their land forces yeah but did japan have a device capable of flinging 90 kilogram stones uh, more than 300 meters that's true <laughs> no, trebuchet ah <laughs> trebuchet yes no they had no trebuchets um so th again this makes sense geographically because korea has to deal with pirates and they're much more of a you know they're, they're not fighting themselves they're in a peninsula they have to have a pretty good navy so they had adopted the use of cannons and good Navy tactics, which was very important for this coming conflict, but their army was hopelessly underprepared. 1587 to 1592, tensions continued to brew as Hideyoshi, with, you know, leading Japan, told Korea that he wanted to march to their land and attack China. And uh, Ryu Seongnyang, knowing that this is not going to end well, puts Yi in charge as a naval commander because he sees that war is coming. And so um, Yi did uh, what Yi does. He gets his military, his naval ships into gear. And, and they get fired, right? <laughs> yeah, this, this is really funny. Um, Yi had never, ever commanded a naval battle in his entire life. I mean, he, he's only been in the army, so he has no experience whatsoever doing this. But what Yikes. he does, and this is really cool, um, he commissions the creation and adaptation um, of a modified version of the turtle ships. Have you guys heard of turtle ships before? I have, but literally because of the Admiral Yi stuff. So. <laughs> yes. So turtle ships were an incredibly revolutionary ship design for its time. Essentially, most ships at that time, as we kind of know them, they are obviously open on the top. They have a top deck, and it's open to the sea. And when you're attacking other boats, you can board each other's ships, right? Now, the turtle ships was literally shaped like a turtle in that the top of it had a shell, which was like an iron-clad covering that had iron spikes sticking all up the top. And then they had cannons pointing out the sides all around the entire ship. And then they had a oh. dragon head. Um, you know, like front of the ship was a big massive dragon head that poked out. Yeah, I'm looking at one right now and that, that looks pretty insane. It's man. a really so, incredible design. Now, was the dragon head just like for decoration? No, this is the best part, guys. They had invented a way for this dragon head to spew out a massive amount of smoke oh. to function as a smoke screen. And it also could sometimes have a cannon mounted inside of it. Dude. So this thing essentially had a th almost a 360 view with cannons all around the ship. So it was smaller and very maneuverable, but it's also extremely well defended in that it could not be boarded by any other party. Hmm. And its use of cannons was made it devastating in combat. Now, again, remember, I'd mentioned to you guys that Japan had a highly developed military, but their Navy was not as developed. Japan's naval combat 
was not really centered around using cannons at all. They actually much preferred to ram to other ships and board them. That's how they would do naval warfare. Which most makes of the sense because if you're really good at ground warfare, you yes. try to emulate that exactly. You and can. also, they had so many firearms, they get really close to another ship and start shooting at them on the deck. Yeah. But when you have a completely covered ship with iron spikes, mm. it's impossible to board and extremely durable. I would definitely recommend that our viewers look up a picture of this turtle ship if you get the chance. It's really is an amazing. We'll post a picture of it on our Instagram and Twitter. Yes, so we will. Yeah, go, go follow. I feel like with as cool of a ship as you've just described, why would they choose to call it a turtle ship of all things? <laughs> it's like a Bowser, you know, it's a turtle dragon. Ah, uh, there you, you go. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's got a shell. Yeah, because it's got the shell. Uh, I got you. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking at a picture now. What is it supposed to be, a leprechaun, Sam? Come on. (laughs) I don't know. But imagine, like, coming across a turtle that looks like this. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, this thing's really intimidating. Well, it's also, like, it's supposed to throw them off, right? It's Like like James said, he's luring them into a sense of security. Oh, we just have turtle ships. (laughs) Oh, it's just turtle ships. And then they look. They're just like turtles. And it looks like. I don't know, freaking porcupine. <laughs> yeah, it really is incredible. Really, really, it's the dragon with the body of a porcupine. <laughs> yeah, that's, get it right. Yeah. So this, again, this is not like their whole Navy consisted of this. At first, they only had one of these things. So you'll see how this comes into play later. But um, this is what Yi does to prepare for the eventual evasion. That He sees this coming. He is very much expecting Japan to invade, and he does not lull into a false sense of security. And so what happens is on a fateful day in 1592, Japan begins to invade Korea with 300 ships approaching from the south. Now, Korean officials, when they first heard about this from their scouts, didn't even believe it. They refused to believe that Japan would actually be invading. They did prepare nothing. And they had 100 ships in their navy they could have used to easily intercept mostly transport ships from Japan that were rushing ahead. But because they didn't even prepare at all, they just let Japan land and invade. And this was a huge mistake. And this is why the war began almost immediately as a devastating loss for Korea. So Japan lands most of their entire invasion force and just destroys Korea. And after a few months, they've made it so far north, they already have gotten to Seoul, the capital where the court is. And in the process, because Korea did not send out any of their 100 warships, they were all destroyed. Oh. on land without ever having gotten out to meet. Oh, man. Uh, so, and this is, again, most of their entire fleet's gone. Yi, of course, um, is not in that area where most of the ships were destroyed. So he has a really small fleet still. But Yi, who's never seen a naval battle in his life, remember, is called in with 24 ships. And he gathers them together. And realizing that Korea is just utterly destroyed and people's hope is completely lost, he garners together all the ships that he can from surrounding areas and eventually grows his fleet into a a good chunk of 45 boats, okay? And he knows that uh, he has to do something to stop Korea, or sorry, Japan from being able to reinforce their troops from Japan. And so he gets 45 ships and sails under the cover of night and decides to sack part of Japan's fleet as they docked in different cities. So what happens is his first battle he ever does is in a Japanese or a Korean city called Okpo. It's a port city. And in in this village or in the city, Japanese ships numbering about 50 had all docked on the shore as they were pillaging the entire city. And what Yi does is he sneaks under the cover of night with his entire fleet, cannons blazing as they destroy the entire Japanese fleet as they're docked and all the people are on land. And then they quickly get out and they probably sustained one to three injuries, according to reports. <laughs> wow. So he destroys about 50 Japanese ships and gets out with about no injuries, basically. Shut <laughs> <laughs> And I imagine, right, the funny thing about this is imagine if you're the guy who gets injured, right? Yeah. It's like everybody's, like, happy about your injury at this point. Yeah. Because <laughs> normally if you have a lot of injury, injuries, you're like, oh, it's sad we had so many injuries. But it's like, oh, we had one injury. Nice. Yeah. Dude, imagine if you're Japan at this point, the range of emotions that you're oh, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So again, and because of how um, disconnected and hard it was to communicate back and forth, um, this is only a part of the the fleet. And so um, Japan hears about this, but they're not really catching on as to what's going on quick Uh. enough. So as as Yi's escaping from this port, they take out five more ships at sea. And again, they're able to do this pretty easily because they have much more superior firepower. And they're able to basically kite the Japanese ships and never get close enough for them to actually use their guns or board their own ships. So at this point in the war, right, Yi has destroyed 43 Japanese ships and Japan has destroyed zero Korean ships since this invasion. Wow. So after Korea hears about this, they're like, oh my goodness, thank you. Finally, a piece of good news in this terrible scenario. And so they promote Yi to be a general in charge of the entire Navy. 
unfortunately, um, <laughs> Yi Il, I don't know if you remember Yi Il, he was the jerk who got Yi tortured earlier oh. on in the story, was actually in charge of the entire Korean army at this point. And he gets destroyed easily in Seoul. And so Japan destroys Yi Il's army. The court has to flee from Seoul. Um, all the way up to Pyongyang to establish their court there again. And most of the entire Korean army is destroyed at this point. So you're saying it's ill for ye ill? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with all the slang these days. It's, you know. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so <laughs> Yi does not give up. He is determined that he is going to stop Japan once and for all. And so he begins to plan and gather intel as he looks to make his next move with his turtle ships. So, next stage of the war. He approaches them with 26 of his ships to attack a Japanese fleet harbored at Sechon. But this time, Japan had guns set up on a cliff side near the city to stop him from approaching too close. So what he does is he sends out a small amount of ships to bait the Japanese ships out to chase him in the sea. And once he baits them out into a massive area out from the shore, he has all of his ships quickly surround them. And the turtle ship rushes up ahead and destroys their ships as it maneuvers between boats, um, blasting its cannons all around and outmaneuvering the Japanese fleet completely. Because wait, wait, wait. Is it one turtle ship? So the, the the Korean fleet surrounds the Japanese fleet, but the turtle ship goes in and among the so Japanese just one, fleet. But one, one of them They goes only in. have one of these at this point. Ah. And so this ship is absolutely devastating and japan does not have any way to deal with it with their current military technology and because it's not able to be boarded and so this turtle ship coupled with the surrounding maneuver that yi employs which again is very impressive on sea i mean trying to control a boat this large and a whole fleet is extremely complicated to do but yi does an excellent job in commanding his men to surround the entire japanese fleet at the city and they destroy the japanese ships and wow. yi did not lose one Wow. He lost no what? ships at this point and completely wow. destroyed the Japanese um, contingent at Sachon. And one cool story about this is after this battle, Yi digs out a bullet from his shoulder with a dagger afterwards and continues Jeez. talking to his men about war plans. So I get, I'll tell him more detail. His, you know, all of his generals are sitting there after the battle celebrating and Yi gets up, you know, he has his blackboard behind him. I don't know. He's, he's giving plans for the next phase and he stops, takes a dagger, digs out a bullet from his shoulder that had lost in his shoulder as, as a stray bullet during the battle and just keeps talking. Doesn't even wow. stop. I mean, again, Jeez. possibly an exaggerated story, but it just gives you an indication of what his men thought of him and the respect that they held for this guy. So it's like picking his teeth, except digging <laughs> out shoulder. a bullet. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it's it's such a crazy story. But again, this is his second major military victory. His ability to like stay calm under pressure, knowing that his whole country is getting devastated on land, and to still keep coming up with all these good tactics and strategies and to beat the Japanese. That's pretty, pretty remarkable. It really is incredible. And you'll continue to see what happens. So after this, um, there's a Japanese army who's beginning to sack a city called Dongpo and Yi takes his fleet to meet them and they're docked at the harbor there. So he sent in his turtle ship, which destroys their biggest ship, the biggest Japanese ship really easily. Again, it's maneuverability. It's, it's, it's protective, covering all of its cannon fire is extremely devastating to the Korean fleet. And another thing that's cool is the turtle ship couldn't be flanked at all because of course, you know, they have cannons all around the entire thing. So there's no way that a ship can kind of maneuver around it and get to a place uh -huh. where its, its cannons can't fire because the cannons are going to always be able to face you. So that's one of the reasons why it was so effective. So the, as the turtle ship goes in there and destroys a bunch of their ships docked at Dongpo, Yi again surrounds their entire fleet with his fleet and um, there's, there's a story about this battle that one of Yi's officer pulls a bow and arrow out and aims it and shoots at one of the Japanese commanders on another boat. And he hits him in the head with this arrow. And after the commander oh, dies in the army, this kind of breaks Japanese morale. And the whole battle is won pretty much after that point. So again, the story is pretty well corroborated. So I'd like to believe it's true. I can't verify that completely, but it, it seems like this definitely could, could have happened. But it's yeah. just a really amazing story. Wow. That's pretty pretty insane. Like, so you know, like how far away he was. Um, you know, I'm not sure, but of course, remember when you're in naval combat, uh, a lot of times it does get really close, and you have tons of ships everywhere. It's very easy in the craziness of everything, as people are shooting back and forth and shooting bow and arrows. That kind of stuff does happen for sure. Yeah. Wow. And and this kind of close quarters combat would occasionally happen, even though Yi preferred to stay at a good distance, so he had his cannon 
advantage utilized in battle. Yeah, it makes more sense too because I feel like people in general envision naval warfare as you know, a bunch of ships that are hundreds of yards away from each other or just shooting cannons. But before cannons were super mainstream, like James is saying, a ton of battles were very close combat where yep. you could shoot people absolutely, you know, from one ship to another or board the other ships or whatnot. And trying to aim a cannon when you're in a rocking boat in the water from far away is it's very, very hard to do. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it's very hard to shoot accurately. Um, mm. But uh, Yi eventually continues to gain more forces. He joins up with more ships and, and growing and grows his fleet to about 51 ships in total. And they destroy another Japanese fleet, um, plundering a different city with another fake retreat move. So he does the same move where he sends in ships, draws them out, and then surrounds them and destroys them. So after several more battles, Yi has not lost a single fight as a naval commander for his first time ever wow. commanding at sea. So basically he was taking his strategies that he used on land and... I guess, moving them to the sea. Yeah, in a way he was. And this also is reminiscent of the Mongolian tactics. If you study the Mongolian horde, a lot of what they would do would be this kind of feigned retreat ambush style of combat with their horses. But this is kind of like a boat version of that. And they did that because they could shoot their arrows yes. backwards uh, while riding away, yep. which is insane. And but. the same way, the Korean fleet had enough cannon power to be able to do that as they were moving. So huh. that was mm -hmm. a big advantage they had. But uh, again, so this is crazy. As Japan is destroying Korea inland, they're not able to resupply their army simply because of Yi and his naval dominance at this time. And so, of course... Toyotomi in Japan's like, everybody needs to destroy Yi by any means necessary. He gets super angry and demands that Yi be killed. So Japan gathers 73 of their best ships, but Yi has also been building up his ships. So he's about got about 56 of his own. And he's built at this time two more turtle ships. So now he has three. Ooh, nice. So these devastating ships that have proven so effective, he's got three of them now. So he's continuing to slowly Are build up momentum. Like Donatello, Michelangelo, <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Leonardo, I wish. That'd just be missing one. Yep. Okay, so in 1592, the Japanese fleet is in the uh, Yonirang Strait. I think I said that right. Yonirang. Uh, it's just hard for me to say. I apologize for any of our Korean listeners here. Um, but it's in a really narrow strait. And Yi goes there with his fleet. And he sees again that Japan is in a really um, tight spot. So he takes advantage of this by sending in six ships to lure the Japanese Navy again um, out of the protected position into the open water. And Yi had gotten so good at this tactic that he had developed an entire formation called the Crane Wing Formation, where they'd organized their ships in this big kind of U shape in this perfectly aligned position to surround an enemy force. So he draws out the Japanese fleet again, and they surround them in this U formation as soon as they get out of the strait into open water. And this battle, which was hours and hours long, ended with 47 Japanese ships sunk. Wow. And 12 other ships captured, and only 14 of the Japanese ships escaped. And Yi, again, lost not a single ship. Impossible. Wow. You would really think that the Japanese would learn his, like, luring out <laughs> tactic. Right, right. Well, again, the, because of the communication problems, there wasn't really a good way for them to catch on to this quickly. Oh, yeah. They all the all oh. the messengers they sent <laughs> were too polite. <laughs> They're all there downplaying his tactics. <laughs> it wasn't very impressive. Not even worth talking about. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't even worry about Yi. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point, though, because Japan eventually does catch on, and you'll see what happens later. But, um, the, again, he loses not a single ship, but the rest of their fleet was docked, so Yi still goes out to pursue them and try to get the rest of the fleet out from the city they're docked in at one point. But um, he couldn't get them to be lured out this time. They, The Japanese finally caught on, and they were like, nope, we're not leaving this port. We're staying in here, hunkering down with all of our big man-of-war ships and just staying here near this port city because they were in a pretty protective area. But Yi decides to use his long-range guns to rain down cannonballs on their fleet because he had a range advantage. But still, he did sustain some injuries and losses at this point. But after his continual bombing of this area, the majority of the Japanese fleet was taken out this year um, and and Hideyoshi you know Toyotomi Hideyoshi back in Japan was super mad um, but 
Yi basically had destroyed Japan's chances of ever getting into China at this point, even though they'd been dominating every single battle they'd fought in on land. So in 1592 in September, Yi built up his fleet and he was ready to take on Japan at Busan. Now Busan is was kind of their their hub, was Japan's hub in Korea where their main invasion force was stationed. This was kind of the last main area they really had a strong hold on. And in this place, Korea had built up after this time about 166 ships total and they were going to go face Japan who had 500 ships in this area at this time. They wow. had gathered they had gathered under 500 ships. Of course, I'm I'm shortening things. I'm not going to tell you all the details about all the things that go on this is kind of a shorter version of the story but japan has 500 ships and again they don't fall for the luring techniques they're not going to be drawn out by yi's faint this uh, time so mm. they they learned by now yes they did yeah. <laughs> and so um yi kind of gets near the city and surrounds them kind of has as a siege blockade preventing anyone from getting out but um he can't really get to the heart of their navy now he's still able to cannon them and so they eventually, for months, are continually cannonballing the Japanese fleet, and they eventually take out about 130 Japanese ships. But winter sets in, and the war kind of slows down, and things kind of devolve into a stalemate. So at this point, you know, we've talked about China and how they're kind of allied with Korea. Um, but China arrived at this point to help Korea. And they realized, partially because of the exploits of Admiral Yi, that Korea actually had a fighting chance in this war. And so they realized, okay, we're going to come help out Korea with this war. So China begins to come in with their military through the northern part of Korea, and they begin to push Japan out. And they push them all the way to south until most of Korea's territory is reclaimed again. But the city of Busan, as I said before, was still the last holding place for Japan by the next year in April. So at this point, of course, Yi is made Grand Admiral or like General of the entire Korean forces, um, but he could still uh, not get support from the Korean land forces who were just devastated. He's trying to gather and build up more of an army, but Koreans, Korean's military was so devastated that it was really hard for him to get any support in this. So what he does instead is apparently he develops his own island city and he starts producing things like food, boat building, um, technologies, he makes forges, starts supplying uniforms and weapons for his men. So he builds up an entire city and ramps up production to help supply and maintain his army and his technologies. So during this stalemate, there was a bunch of peace talks going on between Japan and Korea for about three years, all the way until 1596, um, when Hideyoshi gets super angry and just tired of all of this. And he decides to gather a Japanese force of 140,000 troops to invade Korea again after wow. several years. That's crazy. Admiral Yi's not just playing 40 chess. He's like playing Age of Empires over here. Building, <laughs> building up cities. Yeah. Basically, I mean, I feel like if you're ever playing, you know, those strategy games that have different nations you can play as and they all have their like pluses and minuses. Yeah. I feel like if you praise plays Korea, you should have like a, a zero score for army and like a 10 for Navy. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what Korea is at this point. Um, but so what happens is Japan decides to gather a massive invasion force. But what they do is they sent in a double agent to give Korea false info and tell them that, hey, Admiral Yi, all the um, Japanese Navy is just sailing out and they're all just transport ships and they're super undermanned. You could go out against the Japanese right now in the ocean and just destroy all of them. And apparently this guy's acting like he's, you know, you know, as a acting as a traitor for the Japanese and trying to give Korea good information, but he really was just an agent sent by Japan. So Japan's trying to trick, trick Korea into baiting out their navy. Oh, so he was. Wait, so he was this this uh, double agent was Japanese. Yes, yes. And he uh, came to the Koreans saying, "I'm I'm gonna." betray the Japanese yes. and give you this info. But really, he was loyal to the Japanese he was. and giving them uh, false info. Yes. Oh. And so what they're trying to do, they try to bait Yi's entire forces out to the ocean so that they can then get all of their navy, which they had made specifically to battle on the sea, to surround him and overpower him simply by sheer numbers and destroy him. I feel like if we've learned anything from this episode, it's just not to trust messengers. At, at yeah. this don't, don't trust the messengers. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. trust them. Like, stay away from them. Uh, the other lesson is... If it looks like a weak force retreating, don't follow them. <laughs> Seriously, do not. <laughs> but this is, again, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, though. Uh, Yi does not fall for this at all. He's like, no, we're not going to go meet up the Japanese and defeat them. And the corrupt guys in court, again, the officials of Korea, 
they totally had bought into the story hook, line, and sinker. Uh, no. And when they found out that Yi was not going to take him up on it, they got furious and tried Yi for treason because oh. they believed that he was trying to destroy Korea by not taking this opportunity. Jeez. Boom. Demoted. So fired. he wasn't executed because he had a lot of friends in court and they were able to save him from being executed, but he was made a common soldier again. Oh, oh my God. Oh, no. Oh. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> Started from, from the, the bottom. bottom. Now we're at the bottom. Another one. Now Another one. <laughs> it sucks for him because not only does he not get the good things he deserves... He gets the bad things he doesn't deserve on exactly, top of that. Exactly. Well, at least he wasn't executed, but it's true. And that, that ends up being a good thing later on. But the optimist. <laughs> so guys, and I get this. This is the this is the saddest part. Japan tricks Korea to then come out and fight them in the ocean. No. And baits them in. And so this new admiral, who's not Admiral Yi's, put in charge, and he takes the bait and tried to attack 500 Japanese ships. And Korea lost 30 ships and was destroyed in this conflict. And had I to swear, flee. if it was Yin Yil or whatever that guy is. I know, it, it wasn't him. But <laughs> I feel like Yi, if he hears that, part of him would be really sad. And then part of him's like, I told you so. Like the smug, <laughs> smug look on his face. Oh my gosh, I know. Like just the ultimate, like, okay, yeah, now you see, you know? It's just yeah. so sad. So Korea loses 30 ships and they're trying to run. And they all try to dock on an island and quickly hide and resupply as they're fleeing from Japan. But as they do this, they lose 157 Korean ships and all of their turtle ships. Like Japan, Japan attacks them there. Japan destroys them there and they lose tons, almost their entire navy. Apparently only 12 ships reportedly escape wow. and are saved. From and they the lost navy. their turtle ships? They did. They lost oh, all of man. them. And so they get utterly destroyed. And naturally, um, as you probably would at this point, Korea calls back Admiral Yi out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> we know what that does to a man. It's just, again, this is just an absolutely crazy story. But they call Admiral Yi back, but simultaneously some other court decision was made and they decided at that point we're going to disband the navy but apparently Yi comes back and he's like no we still have 12 ships gosh dang it we have a navy and I'm coming <laughs> back and so um, he's basically convinces them to keep the navy together and he has one last chance to make a last stand mm. and so he decides to fight at uh, Myeongyang Strait which is a really strategic location so essentially um he knows that he is extremely outnumbered and under um, supplied, and he has a very small chance of succeeding at repelling the Japanese fleet, which is massive at this point. So he decides to pick this strait because this strait, which is, you know, a pathway uh, of water between two land masses, obviously, um, this strait is really unique in that it has a very strong current. But something that's really unique about this place is that every three hours, the current changes directions. Hmm. Oh. It's a really fascinating geographical phenomenon, but only the Koreans really knew about this phenomenon. And so Yi decides to bait the Japanese fleet into the strait with scouting ships. So once the Japanese fleet, you know, they're coming to Korea, they're looking for Admiral Yi, they hear about this, and they see some scouting ships. So, so they take it, they take it. They're like, okay, scouting ships, let's go chase them back and find the rest of the Korean fleet. Um, Yi leads them into a strait with these scouting ships. And then as they enter the strait, Yi takes his main flagship that he's on and runs straight into the battle, headlong into the Japanese forces. But he's the only one doing it because his other ships are just terrified when they saw oh, how no. massive the fleet is. But when Yi gets in there, again, he's so effective at maneuvering and using his cannon fire that he starts devastating the Japanese fleet around him. And it's such a small area, the Japanese fleet can't really maneuver around Yi. And so the rest of his troops kind of rally behind him and go, all right, let's go. And so the rest of his 12 ships rush in and... The Japanese fleet is kind of in pandemonium right now because they're not able to navigate. The current's really strong. The Korean fleet is completely outmaneuvering them, and they start to break, and some ships started to flee. And this, of course, when you see some of your men starting to flee, no matter how big your force is, that creates panic in you. And so as the Japanese fleet ships start to flee and turn back, the currents shifted. And oh, no. this forces their ships back toward Admiral Yi's fleet, and it causes all of their ships in this small space to start ramming into one another and just creating pandemonium and havoc. Wow. And so 
Yi took out 30 of the 131 ships that the Japanese had sent from their main fleet there. And Yi lost none of his 12 ships. <laughs> so again, Yi single-handedly leads his troops to take out 30 ships while losing none. And he only has 12. And so after Yi's victory, um, word gets out that Yi did it again. And he got to rally a ton more Korean ships and refugees started pouring in saying they're going to help him and support him. Some ex-soldiers and guys who were out of the military started coming back. And this also rallied China again to come to help Admiral Yi because they heard about his victory. And so again, he's able to build up his Navy a little bit, start rebuilding his army. And a really important thing happens though, is that Hideyoshi dies in Japan. Now this is a this is a huge wow. thing, right? Because he's kind of the spearhead behind all of these attacks in Korea. I mean, these attacks and invasions are kind of fueled by his temper, if you will. And so after he dies, his ruling council are all kind of like, "Um, why don't we stop trying to attack Korea?" <laughs> They're like Admiral Yeet? Yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> like, you were waiting for that one, weren't you? <laughs> I was waiting Honestly, this whole time. Honestly, I'm surprised it took this long. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, it just shows you how sometimes the, the absolute power of a monarch in their blind rage can totally shift the nation, even though most of the people realize this is not a good idea anymore. And yeah. this is kind of what was happening with Japan. So Japan decides, they're, they're like, okay, we want to have peace talks. We're going to flee now. And... Yi's not having it. He's like, nah, no, you don't just get a pull out now. I'm going to destroy your entire fleet. He's oh. seen so many villages and towns and cities and thousands of his people be slaughtered and killed, pillaged and destroyed by Japan. And he is wanting to get them out for good and destroy them. So what he does is he um, gets Chinese help, some Chinese Navy to come help him. And also he has Chinese land forces join him. And they surrounded a port city of Sunshan with the Chinese forces invading the city from the land while Korea comes by the sea. And so when the, the just Japanese held city is surrounded, Japan tries to bribe China apparently into stopping, but Yi would then shame the Chinese into not giving in. So <laughs> at certain points, Japan's like, okay, here, you know, take our money. And Yi's like, nope, don't do it. I know you're trying to do it. Don't do it. And he would shame them into nope. not giving in to bribes. And so on November 15th in 1589, uh, Yi got his men to to leave and intercept incoming reinforcements and the chinese and korean fleet ambushes these japanese reinforcements they're trying to help out at 2 a.m and they have 150 ships versus 500 japanese ships coming in to help reinforce this area so this these are kind of round numbers obviously but that's about the sizes of each of their fleets respectively so korea has 150 ships now with china's help but as they're going to go intercept this incoming Japanese force, they're still hugely outnumbered. So what happens is that the Chinese forces, or the Chinese Navy, they attack way too eagerly in this battle, and they get pretty quickly destroyed by Japan. And what Yi does is he tries to rush in and rescue the Chinese flagship with their main admiral in there. And what he does apparently is while he's fighting and gets really close, he again, like his other officer once did, takes out his bow and kills a Japanese admiral. And this creates panic among the Japanese fleet, and they just focus all of their efforts in trying to kill Yi's ship because they see that this is actually Yi's flagship, but they still couldn't get to him. So this whole battle rages throughout the night, and Japan continues to sustain really heavy losses until morning. And then they try to flee, but Yi pursues them really quickly, and he is trying to rally his troops and say, like, guys, this is it. This is our final push. We can finally defeat Japan. So he begins to take a war drum and just bang on this war drum because they had a drum because they also had oars on their, their ships as well. And so he gets his big, you know, his, I don't know, what, what do you call these drumsticks? They're really massive. But he starts banging on this war drum, rallying and screaming and telling his men to, you know, keep pushing forward, keep up the fight. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah i know we're being attacked right now uh but, but anyway here's wonderwall <laughs> <laughs> i just i love the story because it just shows you how um what a rallying force Yi was so he continues to bang on his war drums and um continue the pursuit of the japanese fleet and the fighting gets really vicious but as Yi is drumming a stray bullet fires and shoots him right near the shoulder. No. no. And he falls. Oh. And the, the bleeding of the drums temporarily stop. 
as he begins to bleed out. And so apparently his son and nephew quickly see that he falls and not wanting anybody to know that Yi's gotten shot, they drag him in, inside oh. into his cabin. Oh. And as Yi dies, in his last words, he tells his sons to keep beating the drums and not let anybody know of his death because they were going to win the war and save Korea. Wow. He's got the chills. So the story goes that his son and nephew would trade off and put on Yi's armor and continue to constantly for hours beat on the drums pretending to be their father. Oh, because man. the armor was so thick, nobody really noticed what was going on and that Yi was actually dead. And so they didn't lose any morale. So Yi died? He did. He did bleeds out and dies. They should have just given him a knife. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> dig like, out the wound. dig out the bullet. <laughs> exactly. But no, this one apparently was pretty a, a pretty fatal shot. Oh, no. And so they go in. They also, in this fighting, save the Chinese flagship that was getting surrounded by Japan. They fight for hours and destroy 300 Japanese ships at the battle, defeating the Japanese once and wow. for all, crippling wow. their navy and saving Korea. And that is the end of Admiral Yi's life. And of course, he is mourned as a national hero. But to give you indication of his success, Admiral Yi won 23 out of 23 of every naval battle he conducted. Dude, 100%. Every single battle he fought in with no prior experience, he won. And essentially crippled the Japanese invasion plan and was able to keep Korea from being destroyed by Japan forever. You know what stinks? He was so close to the end and he yep. literally dies in the final pivotal battle. He does. And he isn't even able to see the fruits of his labor. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. he he knew that they would win. You know, like he knew that as long as you keep beating the drum, yeah. we're going to win. So he had that hope, you know, he's like... Right, right. Yeah. It's kind of mm, like this, yeah. you know... <laughs> If we have to do as much as we can, because if, if Japan was able to flee with the majority of their navy still intact, they could have obviously continued to come back if they had to. Now, he might not have known that Japan was kind of done with it at this point, but yeah. Yeah, it feels like he has he has this very natural confidence about him. It's really mm -hmm. admirable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like just for him to acknowledge the confidence in the win. It's very ad admirable. <laughs> Admiral. Admiral. Ye. Admirable. Yeah. Uh, what, one fun quote about this is um, Admiral Togo, who's actually a later famous Japanese admiral. This was probably, I think, during World War II uh, prior to this. He once said that it may be proper to compare me with Nelson, again, referring to um, the British, famous British naval commander. But he said, but not with Korea's Yi, Sun Shin. For he has no equal. <laughs> um, just gives you an indication that even J Japan acknowledged and saw the extremely potent um, effectiveness of Yi's military command. So, yeah, that's so insane. Wow. I feel like I learned so much about naval tactics. <laughs> no, <right? laughs> and it shows you how much logistic goes into things, too. Yeah. We often just think of the battles, but really half of yeah. succeeding in war is actually logistics, yeah, getting people getting, armed, getting guns, getting, getting yeah. food for your troops. Right, yeah. right. It's, it's a, a big huge deal. part of it. So that is the epic tale of Admiral Yi. And I'm so excited you guys get to hear about this. And of course, it's crazy now that you've heard this. Like, why does the West not know about this guy? I mean, yeah. his story should be. I mean, again, there have been movies made in Korea, but nothing has ever been made in the West. And so we don't have any kind of popular media with, with Admiral Yi featured in it. So I think it's a. Wow. Wow. I think it's time for a movie in America well, to be made. Nice you know? Steven like, Spielberg movie? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I know, right? Or we could just make this podcast so famous that it it, it is the popular media <laughs> of Admiral <laughs> that's right oh uh, man but yeah. isn't yeah that's just a cool story so that's i'm glad incredible. I got to well you thank you james yeah, for sharing you. that chata saw to you which means good job in korea <laughs> Dude, daniel you're such a man of culture <laughs> oh, yes. got to, got to yeah. represent all cultures <laughs> of course i don't yes. know why i went into british but yeah yeah no thanks james that's, yeah, that was a lot you. of info so yeah, thank absolutely. you for relaying that yeah all right, well, we're going to go ahead and start working on a song Whew. about Admiral Yi. I don't even know what kind of song it's going to be. It's going to have to be pretty epic. <laughs> you know the song, uh, I Get Knocked Down and Then I Get Back Up yeah, Again? Yeah, yeah, that, that is the song. <laughs> that yeah. is Admiral Yi's song. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, thanks so much to our audience for listening to this. We know it was a little bit of a longer episode, uh, but we just felt like there was such, uh, such a lot of good stuff here. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we're going to go ahead and play that song about Admiral Yi right now, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, any other remarks, guys? Communication. Yes. It's key. Yeah. Hire good messengers. Beware the messengers. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe develop a culture in which you don't 
kill the messenger, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of what was going on, I think. So I think we got to be careful about you know getting angry with the bearer of bad news, I suppose, because that that's creates true. issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with that, we will uh, say goodbye to you guys. So we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye bye. Annyeong. Yeet. That's right. With Japan getting frisky in 1593 And taking all their ships across the eastern sea Is there a man who can set Korea free? Look no further than your boy Admiral Yi For several hundred years Korea had a lasting peace But Yi took no reprieve and sought to achieve Endlessly, relentlessly a soldier's life without leave To forgo a cushy life in diplomacy Hundreds of times they tried to put him down So they put him on the front so he'd get no renown But he rose up the ranks so he got no thanks for it Getting back up and putting them to shame for it Oh wait War is brewing with Japan, Hideyoshi gonna come and try to take your land Do you think the royal court is ready for a fight? Only Admiral Yi can come and make it right He's coming for your ships, he's coming for your ships When you see him, don't get tricked He'll lure you out and flip the script Cause he hasn't lost yet, and he's not gonna quit Gathering all his troops, he needed a war plan Made a turtle ship to put the fear of Yi in Japan While this country suffered on land he took a man in the sea Won't stop till his country is free Ship after ship He sunk them with cannons Never letting them land him Holding till Japan ends Akpo, Busan, Dongpo, Sunchon Every battle never lost one At the end he had Japan on the run Took up the lead and beat on the drum Shot in the chest, he landed on his back with his final words Press on the attack He's coming for your ships, he's coming for your ships When you see him, don't get tricked He'll lure you out and flip the script Cause he hasn't lost yet, and he's not gonna quit He's coming for your ships, he's coming for your ships When you see him, don't get tricked